for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. Much for such a kind and generous welcome. We don't really know ourselves. <laughs> uh, it's uh, amazing. Well, I'm so thrilled to be with you this morning, and uh, we're going to be looking at the subject of healing. I've got a, a great desire in my ministry to pursue authenticity. You know, we're, we're living in a, a, a day where we need an authentic church, a church that looks like it did in the New Testament. I don't know if you know the story about the young man who did a zoology degree, and um, when he graduated, he wanted to get a job, so he thought working in a zoo would be appropriate, so he went along to the local zoo and uh, asked the head zookeeper if there were any jobs. Well, the head zookeeper said to him, well, I'm very sorry, but we don't have any vacancies at the moment. Your CV's really good. You've obviously done well in your degree, um, but there aren't any jobs. And the young man looked terribly disappointed when suddenly the head zookeeper said, well, ah, just wait a moment. I have an idea. See, we have a problem. Our gorilla, which is one of the main attractions of the zoo, has died. And it's half term coming up, and we've got a new gorilla on order coming. Um, But for the next few days, how would you feel about dressing up in a gorilla suit and being a gorilla? So he said, well, it isn't exactly what I did my degree for, but I'll give it my best shot. So he dressed up in the gorilla suit, and he was in the gorilla pit, and um, after a couple of days, the head zookeeper came up to him and he said, look, if you're going to be a gorilla, you've got to be a bit more authentic. You've got to swing on the branch. You've got to swing on the tire. You've actually got to behave like a gorilla. So after three or four days, he'd really got into this. And uh, so much so, now half-term kids, that he'd become quite an attraction in the zoo. The new gorilla had not yet arrived, so here he was, day after day, acting like a gorilla. Well, one day he got so excited and he got so into the job, he swung so hard, he swung out of the gorilla pit and ended up in the lion pit. Well, here he was, confronted by this huge lion. So he starts to shout, help, help, help when the lion came up to him and said, if you don't shut up, mate, we've both got the sack. (laughs) It's a good excuse to talk about authenticity. (laughs) Okay, turn with me, please, to the book of Colossians and chapter 1, and just a few verses where Paul is describing what authentic Christianity looks like. So I'm reading from verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, 
Now those two words there, power and might, are both Holy Spirit words. They're both words associated with what the Holy Spirit does within us. You remember Jesus said to the disciples, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So when we read in the epistles, we get the, Paul using the word very often, and uh, there are two or three different Greek words that are translated either power, might, or authority. It is to do with what the Holy Spirit does within us. So I want you to kind of get behind what Paul's saying here. He is really talking about what happens when we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I understand that you've been doing a series on spiritual gifts, and this is one of the things that the Holy Spirit does. And so we're going to look at authenticity that comes by the power of the Holy Spirit, and especially as that relates to healing. So may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So there is an inheritance that comes to us by the Holy Spirit. Now we tend to think of inheritance as something that we get after we die. But this is an inheritance, and I'll expand on it in a minute, this is an, experience, uh, an inheritance that we experience actually now. And then he goes on to say, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now this verse is a summing up of what happens to us when we become Christians, when we're born of the Spirit, when we've repented from our sin, when we've come into what we call the kingdom of God, when we become Christians, there is a transference. The word transferred here is a, it's a very strong word in the original language. It's a word which means a lock, stock and barrel coming out of one lifestyle and into another. So we are no longer slaves to the kingdom of darkness. We are in the kingdom of God's Son. So this is a encapsulated in these verses is really the hallmarks of what it means to be an authentic Christian, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, walking with inward strength, and knowing that we've been brought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's Son. Now, it's important that we understand something about the kingdom. The kingdom it's not a geographical kingdom. It's not located in a particular place. The kingdom of God is wherever the rule of God is demonstrated. And it's always been, there's always been the kingdom of God. Jesus, in fact, has always been king. And when he came to this earth, he demonstrated his right to be king by dying for our sin, rising again from the dead, and ascending and going back to his father. So he demonstrated his right to kingship. So Jesus is the king of his kingdom. So it's a kingdom that has always been. It's a kingdom that was particularly manifested when Jesus came to the earth. And it's a kingdom 
that we live in now, and it's a kingdom that we will experience in the future. So it is an eternal kingdom. It had no beginning, and it will have no end. And so when Jesus came to this earth and he began to preach, he began to preach the good news of the kingdom of God. And this is the theme that runs right the way through the four Gospels, the proclamation of the rule and reign of God that has been sovereignly there from before eternal ages and through eternal ages. And so Jesus demonstrated what the kingdom was by healing the sick, by casting out people who were oppressed by what we call demonic power, and by raising the dead, and by giving us an ethical, moral teaching which displayed something of the righteous character of our God. And so Jesus proclaimed the message of the kingdom, he proclaimed righteousness, he gave us a new way of living, but he demonstrated the right to do that by hailing the sick and the oppressed. And he trained his followers to do exactly the same thing. So he trained his disciples to heal the sick. He commissioned them to do that, to cast out demons and to proclaim the kingdom. Now, let me say something that might be a bit controversial, but any church training program that doesn't teach the disciples and followers of Jesus to heal the sick and to cast out demons is substandard to the kingdom. And so it's very, very important that we get a grip of what the primary demonstration of the kingdom is. It's deliverance from the power of the evil one. And Jesus demonstrated that, and he trained the disciples to do that. And then before Jesus went away, went back to his Father in heaven, he gathered them together and he talked to them about the one who was coming, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was going to come on them, that third uh, person in the Godhead, and it would be as though Jesus was still there, but he would be in them, and what Jesus was doing was going to be multiplied through them. So it would not just be Jesus doing the miracles, they would multiply the miracles. That's why Jesus said, when the Spirit has come, the works that I do, you shall do, and greater works than these shall you do. Well, you can't do much greater than raising somebody from the dead. So what are the greater works? Well, the greater works are the works where more people are doing it rather than the one. So Jesus commissioned the disciples to do that. It's what we call the Great Commission. And so Jesus says to them that you are to preach the gospel of the kingdom, you are to heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, and carry on doing what I did. And so when the Holy Spirit came upon them on the day of Pentecost, that is exactly what they did. And that is our primary model for what church should look like. A people that are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, doing the works that Jesus did. So when we see the description of the early church, we see that God was amongst them. It was as though Jesus was still there, which of course he was by his Spirit. And so there were signs, wonders, miracles that displayed the power of the kingdom. So when Peter preaches just after the 
just on the day of Pentecost, thousands are saved. And then just a few days later, when Peter and John are going by the gate of the temple, and there's this man who's been lame for 40 years, they're able to raise him up, bring healing to him, and again, massive commotion, another 5,000 people or so saved. So that actually is normal church life. And I want to encourage you this morning to lift your vision, to open your eyes to see this. Now, if we're going to understand this, we need to understand something about the way the Holy Spirit works in us to bring us into this inheritance of the kingdom. So Paul says to these Colossians, he says, I give thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now, how do we share in that inheritance and what is that inheritance? Well, what it means is that when we become Christians and we're born of the Spirit and filled or baptised with the Spirit, we come into a realm and dimension of life in the Spirit. Now, it's the epistles that explain what the Holy Spirit does within us. And one of those explanations we get in Ephesians chapter 1, where Paul says that the Spirit is given as a guarantee. A guarantee. Now, the Greek word there, word arabon, it means a down payment. And it's a, it's a deposit which, in the way people traded in ancient times, if you were going to buy something, you could pay a deposit. Now, when you paid the full payment, it had to be the same as what you had deposited. So, if I'm going to buy 100 sheep and I do a deal, 10 camels for 100 sheep, and I give one camel as a deposit, I go home and one of my other camels has died, it's no good bringing eight camels back, ten donkeys, and another camel. That won't work. It has to be in the, in the kind of what you've paid down. You sit, understand that, okay? Now, that's very important for understanding what our inheritance is about. Because the Holy Spirit has been given to us as a down payment which guarantees our future inheritance when we will be living with God in the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no sickness, no shame, no sorrow, no death, where we will be living forever with the Lord. Not floating around on clouds playing harps and singing worship songs, but living in a new heaven and a new earth that God has recreated for us to dwell with him forever and all will be perfect and beautiful and bright. Now, that's our inheritance, and we should always have that in our minds, that God is taking us somewhere, that we are on a journey, but that future comes into the present now by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is why Jesus said, when you pray, say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, as it is in heaven. So there is a deposit of heaven in us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Heaven comes to earth 
through us, that's true of us as individuals, but it's also true of us corporately as a people. So when the church gathers corporately, we are a display of heaven on earth. So this concept of the inheritance actually becomes real to us now. In one of his not-such-great-songs, Graham Kendrick put it like this, oh, 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 heaven is in my heart. Okay, that's absolutely true. I actually prefer Fanny Crosby's Blessed Assurance, Jesus is Mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. So we have that foretaste of our future glory in the present. Now, this is very important if we're going to understand how we pray for the sick. Because I can guarantee in this room this morning, there will be people who've sometimes prayed for the sick and nothing's happened. Anybody identify with that? Okay. You've prayed for the sick and nothing's happened. It may be even that you've done it so many times or even maybe gone through the pain of premature bereavement. It may be that things like that have made you question and wonder, well, does God really heal? Is it his will to heal? Does God always heal? And you you get various kind of things. um, I hope you don't spend too much time watching God TV, but you see some of these television evangelists who say, it's always God's will to heal. It's always God's will to heal. God will always heal you. And it's like you have been in situations where that hasn't happened, and you think, well... You know, these preachers say this, what, you know, how, how do I cope with that? And often I find people get gripped with disappointment. Now, if we understand the concept that we are living in what theologians call the tension between the already and the not yet, it helps us to put the disappointments into perspective but also motivates us to believe that we can pray for the sick and that we should expect God to heal. Why? Because we're bringing heaven to earth. So it's important that we hold these two things in tension, that the Holy Spirit is given to us as a dynamic power for us to live in the present reality of the kingdom, but we are not living in what uh, some have called an over-realized eschatology, that that what we are expecting in the new heavens and, and the new earth, it hasn't actually happened yet. So that is why Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13, which is one of the most misunderstood chapters in the Bible, he says that uh, we know in part, we prophesy in part, we heal in part, we have discernment in part, but then when the perfect is come, we will know all things, we will, prophecy will cease because we won't need it anymore because we're in it. And and so there is a tension between the fact that we are in a sensic world where we are to manifest the presence of the kingdom, but we are not living in a perfect world. In fact, the whole creation is out of joint because of sinfulness. And so, so death, sickness, and all of those things are a reality. Now, invading that reality 
is the presence of God in his people who will bring the presence of Jesus to heal. And the more we have of him, the more we will be able to do it. And so, when disappointment comes, what do we do? Well, we say, God, there is a new heaven and a new earth. Your ultimate will is that we will be free from sin, free from pain, free from death. I have a very dear friend, and uh, um, him and his wife were um, in, in ministry, and uh, the wife was a very amazing singer, an incredible singer. And uh, she used to sing at big Christian rallies. And um, I had a phone call one day to say that Anne had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And uh, they said, we know you're spirit-filled Christians. We know you pray for the sick. Will you come and pray for her? So we pray. And um, after a while, there was a a respite, and it seemed that God had healed her. And uh, Anne was singing at a big Christian rally, and she was singing that song, My Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine, for thee all the pleasures of sin I resign. She was singing that as a solo. And she got to the last verse... And the last verse said, I will love thee in life, I will love thee in death, I will love thee as long as thou lendest me breath, and say when the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus is now. And as she was singing that last verse, she broke down. She couldn't sing it. Why? Because she had faced what that song was saying and come through it. Well, time went on and uh, the cancer came back and she was dying been a lot of prayer for her. She did die. She went to be with the Lord. When I went to visit the family, her husband, a very good friend of ours, he told us about her death. And what he, 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 they, they were gathered around the bed, and she said, could you read the words of my Jesus, I love thee? And so uh, the father was there, two teenage children there, and they read the verse, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine, for thee all, and they read it. They got to the last verse, and they couldn't read it. And she said, no, I want you to read the last verse. And as they read, and say when the death dew lies cold on my brow, if ever I love thee, my Jesus, tis now. She went to glory. Now that is the ultimate triumph of the kingdom. I'm telling you that story because I want you to put disappointment into perspective of God's bigger picture. Having said that, we live with an expectation that the kingdom will come and be demonstrated with power. So does God heal today? Yes, he does, because there is an inheritance. Does he always heal? No, he doesn't, because we are living in a fallen world, in a sin-sick world, and God and his sovereignty knows ultimately what's best. Now, that, for me, does not undermine faith. What it does, it builds faith and gives me an expectation that we will see even greater breakthrough but I keep it in the perspective of God's big picture. Okay, so does God heal today? Yes. How does God heal today? Well, I want to give you seven ways in which he does. 
okay? And the first is through the healing gift of the Spirit. So in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, we get a, a list uh, of the gifts of the Spirit. So we get the vocal gifts, prophecy, tongues, interpretation uh, of tongues. They're the uh, vo- vocal gifts. And we get the revelation gifts, like uh, discerning of spirits and uh, word of knowledge. Um, and we get the power gifts, like faith, miracles, and healings. Now, the gift of healing, as it is expressed there, is a gift of healings. Now, some people have a gift of being able to heal, of praying, for the, praying for the sick and seeing the sick healed. And the suggestion there, when you get behind the meaning of that word, is that there will be healings of a particular kind that are given as a gift. Now, for me, I've got a gift of healing, of praying for people with bad backs. Um, I, I would say 99% of the time, I, when I pray for people with bad backs, they are, they are healed. Um, I don't know if I could quantify that exactly, but I have an expectation. And often, it is because bodies are out of alignment and legs appear to be longer than the other one. And uh, I pray, and God lengthens legs. Um, I'm in faith that that will happen. And if there's anybody here this morning who's got a bad back, I'm happy to pray for you, and I, I believe God will touch you and heal you. I know other people, I've got friends who've got a particular gift in praying for eyes. I've got know somebody else who's got a particular gift in praying for ears. Um, actually, I've, God has used me to pray for eyes. I was one, one man um, came to... Um, came for prayer after I'd preached and he had an operation to remove his cataracts. It wasn't successful and the laser scars were still in his eyes. So I said to him, God spoke to me, I said to him, do you remember when Jesus took some mud and kind of spat on it and put it in the person's eye? He said, yes. I said, well, how would you feel if I... Put, anointed your eyes with my saliva. I said, it's a bit gross, but how would you feel about that? He said, no, if you feel, do it. I did it. God healed him, and the laser scars disappeared. So uh, there, there are healing gifts of, of the Spirit. So I'm going to kind of race through these and, and tell you a, a few stories to build some faith. The second is what I would call the word of faith, Okay. Now, faith comes by hearing the word of God preached. And so when I preach, I expect faith to build so that people can respond. It's a bit like Paul on one of his missionary travels. He was preaching. We don't know the content of what he preached, but he must have been preaching about about Jesus because as he was preaching, there was this crippled man who, as he heard the word, he believed the word and it was his faith that reached out to God, and he was healed. Okay, I was once preaching in an Anglican church, and um, I was in full flow. Um, I'm like a train when I get going. <laughs> I was in full flow, going for it from Ephesians 1, about the power of God. And I was talking about the intrinsic power of God, the revealed power of God. I was in full flight, when suddenly, in front of me, this woman gets up out of her seat, and comes up to me and starts going like this. And I'm preaching. I said, 
Madam, I'm, I'm preaching. What are you doing? She said, look, look, look. I said, well, okay, tell me what's going on. And she went like this, okay? She said, for the last 10 years, my hand has been closed like that. Um, I had an industrial accident, and when I went for um, an operation, my, the, the tendons in my wrist were severed, and my hand has been closed for 10 years. She said, I, I've got industrial compensation for it, and I've got a disability allowance because of it. She said, but when you were preaching about the power of God, I believed, and two fingers opened. So now I was on a roll. <laughs> so I started speaking to this hand, command you hand to open, and her hand went like that, completely healed. Okay, That week I had a, a, a message from the vicar of that church. He said, I want you to know that that, me- that miracle has now been medically verified and Phyllis has been closing her hand, opening and closing her hand all week and telling all her neighbours and telling everybody. Not only that, a little bit later she reported it to the authorities because of the industrial compensation. They, could, they didn't know what to do with it, so they let her keep the money. Okay? <laughs> now, sometime later... I was in a meeting at CCK in Brighton and this lady came up to me. She said, "Um, you won't know me, but my mother's name is Phyllis. I said, not Phyllis with the hand. She said, yeah, Phyllis with the hand. She said, and she's still doing it. She's still going up to people and telling them about what God has done. Now, that was not me. That was her responding in faith to the word of God. So that's another way that that God heals. A third way is the word of knowledge. And that is where you know that there is somebody here with a particular illness. Now, when the children of Israel were going through the wilderness, it says he sent his word and it healed them. And so when a word of knowledge comes in a meeting. So there's somebody here who's got kidney problems, okay? And uh, God God will heal you from that, okay? There's somebody uh, here, you've got problems with your kidneys, okay? So if that's you, if you identify yourself afterwards, uh, I'd love to pray for you. When God speaks like that, he brings healing because there is a creative power in the word of God. Another way is through the laying on of hands. And this is probably the most common. Now, I I remember, I think it was John Arnott said, be careful that you don't lay empty hands on empty heads. Okay, so the laying on of hands is an impartation. It imparts faith, but there is an impartation from the person praying to the person being prayed for. So it's not just about the person who's doing the praying, then it needs to be a two-way thing. And there's an aspect of it where the laying on of hands gives a point of contact that lets faith go. So when the woman said, if I touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed, it wasn't that there was any virtue in the garment. It is that there was a point where she released her faith. When I do that, I will be healed. So there is a sense in which your faith connects with the person that you're praying for. 
So the laying on of hands has impartation. Okay? Another is the extraordinary interventions of God. The extraordinary interventions of God. I'll give you a couple of examples. Well, I think the Phyllis one comes under that as well. I was once at another Anglican church I was preaching in, and it was a, a church that was transitioning from being a traditional parish church into being evangelical and into being charismatic. And uh, there was a tension between different areas of the congregation. There were people who went just because it was an Anglican church. There were people who went because it was a good evangelical Bible teaching church. And there were people who went because they wanted something of charismatic life. One of the church wardens, who was a very senior doctor in the um, uh, East Sussex Hospital in Brighton, ex-mayor of Hove, um, kind of, you know, a, a... Christian man, but was what we call a cessationist. He didn't believe in speaking in tongues. He didn't believe in the baptism in the Holy Spirit. But he did love Jesus, and he loved the Bible, but he was a cessationist Christian. And there was a tension between him and me and the people that I identified with who were the more charismatics. Well, I was preaching in this church on... uh, it, It was Whit Sunday, and I was preaching from John 7 about Jesus saying, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink, and out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. So I was really hammering it that Jesus was doing the same things today as he did in Bible days. We could be filled with the Holy Spirit. God's presence was there to heal. That New Testament life means healing, deliverance, and all that. I really banged on about it. Big church, about 500 people there. And in those days, you used to go and stand at the back when you'd preached, and shake everybody's hands on the way out. So I was standing in the vestibule of the church next to this church warden who was a bit negative about the things of the spirit. So I'm shaking people's hands and then my worst nightmare happens. This man starts walking towards me, keels over and to all intents and purposes dies. So in front of all these people, he's out on the floor, crashed out, stops breathing, there he is and... um, Like, oh my goodness, what do I do now? I have just preached this. (laughs) And there are all these people looking. (laughs) Um, So the doctor immediately goes over to him, starts pummeling his heart and doing the things doctors do. And, you know, you've all seen Casualty. And and then, um, you know, did the whole kind of kiss of life thing. Absolutely no response. By now, this man's lips were starting to go blue and there was absolutely no sign of life in him at all. And um, I tell you, my heart was pounding. And I, I just said, God, what do I do? So I turned to the doctor. I said, can I pray for him? So the doctor said, well, you can try. So I laid hands on him, and uh, I prayed this very vague prayer. I prayed, <laughs> God, give him life, thinking it might be eternal life. <laughs> <laughs> Um, (laughs) but I gave it my best shot (laughs) I prayed for him and after a few seconds he sat bolt upright and started to breathe and um, by now the cardiac ambulance had come he was taken to hospital Rosie's dad went along to the hospital turned out this man was not a Christian Rosie's dad led him to the Lord 
that night. And that man lived for another six months as a Christian. But the interesting thing is that that doctor called me at midnight that night. He said, I want you to know that man was dead. And he said, I now believe. That doctor and I became great friends. And there was a time in that doctor's life when he was suffering a brain hemorrhage and he sent to uh, a message to our church in, in, in Brighton, could you pre- please pray? And we prayed, and as we prayed at half past ten that morning, um, one of our guys um, in the church moved in the word of knowledge, suddenly got a terrible headache as he was praying, and then the headache went, and he said, God's healed him. We got a message later that afternoon at half past ten that day, the brain hemorrhage had stopped and the doctor was healed. This is what God does. So extraordinary interventions. Another way, um, how are we doing for time? Just two, quickly two other ways, okay? The other way is anointing with oil. And this is particularly a ministry that elders are called to. And there is a, an authority that elders have when they anoint with oil. Now, the onus is on you to call the elders. Sorry, elders, if I've dropped you in it. The onus is on you to call the elders. If any is sick, let them call for the elders of the church. Now, eldership and that whole ministry, there is a relational authority. And so God will use that. And the anointing with oil, obviously a symbol of the presence of the Holy Spirit, that is a key way to being prayed for. Okay, so that's one other way. And then finally, and I'm going to end with this, persistent prayer. Persistent prayer. And that is where, perhaps in terms of long-term illness, you need to keep praying. Keep praying. Now, if you were to say to me, is it God's will always to heal? The answer would be yes, because if that were not true it would be wrong to go to the doctors and take some medication. Okay? That is his perfect will. His permissive will sometimes means that people don't get healed, as I've said. But there is a bigger purpose that we won't know about until we, we get to glory. But we always pray for healing. I will always pray. I will pray and pray and pray until the very last moment. And... Uh, We had a a, a woman at at CCK, she was diagnosed with cancer of the esophagus and uh, she was a woman, she was rather timid um, and uh, often suffered from depression. We prayed a lot for her over a number of years, over various number of things. She got this cancer of the esophagus, afraid to die, we ministered to her, we prayed for her, we got her through the whole issue of facing eternity and uh, that if she did go, she would be with Jesus. We got rid of the fear of death, but we prayed for her healing. Rosie and I went away for nearly three months. And while, during that three, three months or so, um, I would not have been surprised if she had died. I would not have been surprised. When we got back, I said, how's Liz getting on? And they said, well, she is kind of hanging on. And the cancer had got worse. But there was a group of about six women 
who covenanted to pray for her like virtually every day. And I tell you, those women, women prayed. And um, they paid for a guy to come over from New Zealand who'd been healed of cancer of the esophagus. And I had the privilege of being in the room with him, praying with these women for this lady, Liz. Um, the interesting thing is, she wasn't healed yet, but this guy who was, who'd been healed from this cancer was doing meetings around the Sussex area and he took Liz with him and even though she still had the cancer, she had now got so um, bold in God, she was praying for people. This is the depressed, timid Liz. She, she'd met with God and it was like she was going for it. Uh, it was some time after that that uh, she went for a test at the hospital and uh, I can't remember all the details, but she'd got a stent. And when they examined her and x-rayed her, the stent had disappeared. That is a total miracle. The, f- the complete story is that Liz was totally healed of cancer of the esophagus right at the point of death, totally healed, She's just recently written the, written the book and uh, I've had the privilege of write, writing uh, a thing for the, for the jacket of the book. Totally healed. Now that was persistent prayer of a group of godly women who would not let go with this. So keep, keep going, however desperate it seems. So does God heal today? Yes, because we have an inheritance does he always heal? No, but we should expect him to. And the more we have of God, the more of the kingdom we will see breaking him. How does he heal? Through the gifts of the Spirit, through the word of faith, through the word of knowledge, laying on of hands, extraordinary interventions, anointing with oil, and persistent prayer. As a church, I would encourage you to create a healing environment. Pray, pray, and pray again. And if you get disappointments, don't give up. Keep going. Amen? Amen. 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 Right, if we could just have the band up, please. I'd just, um, just like to sing, sing that song, If Faith Could Move the Mountains, Let the Mountains Move. Okay? We're going to see some mountains move this morning. Okay? So it's, I don't want this to be in, in word only. We want to see, see God, God working. Okay, so uh, let's just stand together, shall we? One of the hallmarks of the early church was the presence of Jesus was real amongst them. So as we sing this song, Waiting Here For You, okay, don't let, let that waiting be passive, let it be active, and let it be with expectation that his spirit will come and engage with you and then we'll just see what God does.
expectation waiting here for you. Salvation. 